The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to FAPC.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Hear now a word from God as it echoes to us from the gospel according to John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. The word of God for you, the people of God. Gathered in that room were the ones who walked with Jesus, who broke bread with him, who saw that man walk on water. They were there when he fed thousands with just a few crusty loaves and a couple of fish. They saw when he cast out demons. They heard him speak with such authority. They had witnessed miracles, absolutely. And yet now, after hearing the one that they left everything to follow, their jobs, their families, their homes, when they heard that he'd come back, they're incredulous. If they'd seen all of that, what was it about resurrection that sent them hiding behind locked doors? Why not go looking for Jesus? I mean, if Jesus had gone to the trouble of raising from the dead, couldn't they at least meet him somewhere halfway? Or even just unlock the doors to the house? Maybe it felt like not much had changed. Perhaps life after Easter had all too quickly returned to normal. Their problems from the mundane to the pressing were back, with new problems even, and the news of Christ's resurrection didn't seem to have changed any of that. Maybe it was fear. To be fair, they really could have been in danger and seeking safety behind closed doors. The religious authorities had condemned Jesus to death. Would they be next? 
it's interesting, I think, to consider that it's in this emotional state, in uncertainty, in fear, in disbelief, in whatever they might have been feeling that caused them to retreat to this locked room, it's there that the risen Messiah, the glorified Son of God, goes looking for them. Their doubting didn't push them away from God. It's actually what brought God near to them. At the end of last summer, a small group from this church that I was part of got together, virtually of course, to read and discuss the universal Christ, how a forgotten reality can change everything we see, hope for, and believe by Father Richard Rohr. I was struck then, as I am now, by a title that quite literally promises you the theological world. While there were plenty of moments where the Zoom platform frustrated our attempts to connect, you know what I'm talking about. Shouts of, you're muted, you're frozen, Jamie, we can't see you. We really needed each other to fully appreciate this book. This was the kind of work, the kind of journey we needed to do in community. And there was one idea in particular that has stuck with me. Almost as a side note in one of the chapters, Rohr briefly describes Christ's interaction when he found the disciples in hiding. This moment, he says, sums up the entire gospel. But it's not, at least not only, that the resurrected Christ has made himself known to his followers. The true power of the Christian message is not only that the Son of God rose from the dead, Rohr argues, it's that, he was it's that he was resurrected and wounded. Resurrected and wounded. I've thought about this many times over the fall and the winter, and I definitely thought about it on Easter. Resurrected and wounded. Hear me out. I want to be careful to not fall into the trap of glorifying suffering. But I think that all of us, especially after this past year, would agree that it is a reality of our lives. Easter or not, we all have problems, pains, challenges that beg for our attention. We go to jobs that exhaust us. We live in aging bodies that ache. We deal with the loss of loved ones. Resurrection aside, we all from time to time hide in locked rooms. We all have wounds. It seems our culture has all but unanimously decided that Thomas's wound is doubt. And we have collectively berated him for this over the centuries, calling him and everyone who doesn't immediately believe in something the doubting Thomas. And yet Thomas is the one who arguably knew more than the rest of the disciples about where this was all going. When the others tried to convince Jesus not to go to Judea, where, we where he would, as we know, be crucified, Thomas had said, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas is a realist. He knew that not every story ends like we'd like it to. Maybe your wound isn't doubt. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anger, loneliness, anxiety, betrayal, failure, depression, regret. 
I'm not saying these things are good, but for better or worse, none of us makes it through unscathed. Each of us, the scars, the bruising, the bumps and cuts, they're part of us. And it seems they're part of Christ, this resurrected and wounded Savior. Brene Brown, a well-known researcher and storyteller, put out a video a few years ago on the differences between empathy and sympathy. It made its way around my social circles via text and Facebook, and maybe you recall seeing it in an all-church email from Reverend Charlene back in 2017. I wonder if I remember this short clip so clearly because of the cartoon woodland animals Brown uses to illustrate her point. So when this cute but very sad fox, and this is indicated by a rain cloud above her head, shares her pain, the big old yellow bear friend crawls down into the hole where the fox finds herself in this sort of den of sadness and he stays with her, now with his own cloud floating overhead. When something has gone wrong, when there's suffering, when there's pain, emotional turmoil, what have you, Brown says, rarely does a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. He showed them his hands. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. A few years ago, I attended the conference Why Christian with some of our young adults. Of the many speakers that week, Kate Bowler is the only one whose words I can still remember. So when she finished that afternoon, I rushed to grab a copy or three for friends of her book before the sellers ran out. Everything happens for a reason and other lies I've loved. Let me share a quick paragraph from the preface. Married in my 20s, a baby in my 30s, I won a job at my alma mater straight out of graduate school. I felt breathless with the possibilities. Actually, it's getting harder to remember what it felt like, but I don't think it was anything as simple as pride. It was certainty plain and simple that God had a worthy plan for my life in which every setback would also be a step forward. I wanted God to make me good and make me faithful with just a few shining accolades along the way. Anything would do if hardships were only detours on my long life's journey. I believed that God would make a way. I don't believe that anymore. You see, just as it seemed like every door was open to her and that life couldn't be better, Kate was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. With this news, she talks about how so many well-intentioned friends and other folk would reach out and offer solutions or explanations or silver linings. Try this essential oil, they said. Maybe you need to pray more for forgiveness and healing. At least you had a good life before this, at least. On the other hand, she shares that her family in Canada offered none of this. Instead, loved ones back home had pooled their resources to buy a swamp, 
which they together over the course of a hot summer drained. And, and they said, Kate, look, we've got this land for you. Come, come live with us. It will be the worst, but we'll be together and, and we'll stand with you through all of this. No matter what happens in that swamp, we'll stand with you shoulder to shoulder. Thomas, infamous now for his doubt, had said, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in his side, I will not believe. In the words of my forever favorite, the Reverend Barbara Brown Taylor, without whose guidance I will likely never preach a sermon, Thomas, she says, wanted to see the marks on Jesus's body. He wanted to reach out his real hand and touch Jesus's real wounds. Only then would he believe that it mattered, that Jesus's resurrected life meant something for every life, no matter how hurt or scared. I wonder, maybe Thomas didn't doubt that God's son could be resurrected, but that someone with wounds, someone like him, like Thomas, could be raised to new life. But it seems Thomas didn't, as he had said, actually touch the place where the nails had been or place his finger where they had pierced his side. I may be reading between the lines where I shouldn't, but I can't help but wonder if in the safety of that room, if upon seeing Christ's wounds, Thomas himself felt free to reveal his own, to uncover where he had been broken, to show his own marks. My first year in seminary, there was an all-night prayer vigil. This was one of those student-led worship services where we'd offer prayers for the nation, for the Princeton community, and for the seminary's academic year. In my memory, I was one of the truly faithful who actually stayed and prayed all night long. I doubt that is actually the case, knowing how much I need sleep, but I do have a very clear memory from the early hours of that morning. After praying and worshiping all of a sudden, and I feel it now as I share this story with all of you, I felt the spirit in my heart pounding, overwhelming, and I thought, Jesus, how did you get in here? I thought I locked and chained the door, and here you are in my heart, in my body, in this room, in the presence of these others. And as often is the case when the spirit moves, I had this voiceless question on my lips, what's gonna happen now? I can hardly explain it. I don't know if it was the moving prayers, the songs we had sung, or just the sense that the friends around me had climbed down to be with me in my own deep den of sadness. I opened my mouth and I shared something that I had before that moment in my life told no one. I slowly and carefully unwound my bandages. I methodically pulled back the gauze that I had spent years tending. And in that sacred space of the seminary chapel, I bared my wounds. There wasn't anything to be done. 
nothing anyone could have said to make it better. And to be honest, in some very real ways, nothing did get better. I still have those wounds. But in this unexplainable way, it, it was somehow my wounds on display, and I felt also their wounds around me, and, and even Christ's wounds. In that moment, we were the community of the wounded, the community who proclaims the one wounded with us, for us, alongside us. In the gray of that early morning, I am certain the Holy Spirit breathed peace into each of us. Sitting on that hardwood floor, I found myself shoulder to shoulder. Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. During my first three years at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church, I would slip into the cool quiet of the sanctuary the week after Easter. Chances were, no one else would be around, and if I timed it right, the facilities team would not have yet cleaned up Easter Sunday's impressive display of flowers and greenery. But by that point in the week, most of the blooms had gone, dried up, prickly, husks of their former glory. Now I'll admit, I can be a bit dramatic, and sometimes I've been known to indulge in melancholy, but I think there's, there's something to be said in being able to still see remnants of the resurrection the week after Easter, when, when life has returned to normal and when the time comes to reconcile our shouts of alleluia with the realities we all face. So every year, when I see this wilted garden in all of that mess, I see too an important reminder of where God has been of what the divine has already done, and that in the less than perfect, in the not so beautiful, in the sensitive, guarded, still healing places of our lives, there also we find God. I have to be honest. Thomas isn't the only one with doubts. I can't pretend that it's always easy to see resurrection in our normal lives, especially when the story isn't as happy or simple or good as we'd hoped, or when we realize that even after Easter, we're still faced with this pandemic, with hunger, with unspeakable acts of violence. All this after Easter, when we realize that even after raising from the dead, Christ is still wounded. We are all still wounded. Friends, what I do confess with all my heart is that even now in this week after, the miracle of resurrection continues. But sometimes we have to get creative, believing that the God that raised Jesus from the dead, who called him forth out of the muck and the dirt and the grit of the tomb, is the same God who birthed new life out of the mud and the dust and the nothingness. And so we drain the swamp. We stand shoulder to shoulder. We create safe spaces for our hurting siblings and together simply gaze upon a savior who is resurrected and wounded, whom we find not only in the sunshine or on the mountaintop, 
but who comes to find us in the valley, in the hiding places, in a little fox's den of sadness, in wilted flowers, because ours is a God who does not work only in the perfect or through unblemished bodies, but instead claims and sends each of us just as we are. My Lord and my God, may the Advocate, God's Holy Spirit, sent in Christ's name, teach you and remind you of Christ's wounds. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Christ's peace go with you into every story. Christ's peace that the world cannot take away be with you. Christ's peace and the Spirit's presence, which calls each of us into the community of God's beloved children, remain with you forever. Amen.